Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Thank you, Brother Dylan. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope you enjoy a good Sabbath day. So as you heard the title of my message today, is a God's holy time. And I am sure of it that every single one of you here, every single one of you has got a special time that you mark on your calendar and you're always aware of it and you always remember it every single, every single year. Whether it be not just your birthday, but you know, let's say your spouse's birthday. Let's say it's be your kid's birthday or your kid's graduation. You have specific day, the day that you love to keep, the day that you love to observe, and you're always aware of them way ahead of time before they actually fall in its place. And many, many different days. Every single person on this planet, on this earth, has got a day. Important days that the life revolves around them. You know, as a nation here, as a Canada, we came from all different parts of the world just to be here, but... For a country of Canada to exist, it needs to have some historical background. It needs to have some historical day that people observe. Canada Day. It's always happened on July 1st. And everyone knows that's the beginning, that's the birthday of this country that we call Canada. On the same token, let's say, for a country, we observe the Remembrance Day. And we always observe Remembrance Day in, in, in November Remember all the sacrifices that people committed just to give us this freedom that we have here in a Western society. Now, look at every single religion in this society, in this world. Every single religion, God, it's, you know, they need to have some important dates to follow. Otherwise, the religion will fall apart. You know, Christianity, doesn't matter where you go, you mention Christianity in its major holiday. People will be quick to point out that it's Christmas and it's Easter. You know, you mentioned Muslim or the Islam religion. Everybody know, at least here in Canada, know that, you know, they observe something called Ramadan. So every religion on this planet got something important is to keep. And it shouldn't be exception when we talk about the Bible and we talk about our God. There are some special day that are in this book that God's people are supposed to be aware and supposed to be keeping them. They don't just point to the history. They also point to the future. And as I said, let's go to Exodus, open our first scripture, let's go to Exodus chapter 31. We can't live in this society, we can't live in this world, we can't function as a family without, any, without the important dates that go around. Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31, and there is just one verse here, in verse 13. And God is saying, he said, speak also to the children of Israel, saying, surely my Sabbath, it's not just my Sabbath, my Sabbath's plural, you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And, you know, on the surface, the scripture may not mean a lot. But if you are an obedient follower, if you keep God's holidays, 
as we're going to see later, you will see that the major events in the Bible happen around God's holy time. No exception. Now, just go to Leviticus chapter 23. That's the scripture that Keatland read to us today. Leviticus chapter 23. And look here in verse 1. And it's the same language. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts, the feasts of the Lord, not of the Jews, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, and these are my feasts. It's not just belong to the somebody else. They not just belong to the, to the Jews or to the Jewish Israelites in general. They belong to they belong to me. And he actually goes, God, here, here, Moses goes in a specifics. He outlined all the festivals here, starting from the Sabbath, from verse 3, going to verse 4, to the Passover and unleavened bread. And, you know, to all this festival that we observe throughout the year. And just hold your place here for a moment, but just go to Exodus 5. Hold your place in Leviticus 23. And just Exodus 5. Even before the greatest exodus that happened thousands of years ago, right here in Exodus chapter 5. In verse 1, God would say here, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, he says, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. It's not that let them go so they're going to enjoy their freedom, he says, I want to let them go because they need to keep a very specific festival that's going to happen at a very specific time. So way before the Exodus story, God actually saying, let my people go. They need to keep a feast, feast that I ordained before the creation of the world, so to speak. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23. And as you're going to know, as you, as you read this, you know, we are familiar. If you're not so familiar with all this festival, there are some very important critical days. The God holiday season actually started the first month of the month of Abib or Nisan, depends what language you prefer, Babylonian or. But it's always the first month. Once you figure it out when the first month is, where the first month follows, the first day of the first month is the holy month. And as you know, all this progressive date along in the first month that happened. The first of the month, then the next one, the big thing that was for Israel was the tenth of the month. And as you well know, the 10th of the month, the 10th of the first month, was that they, where they were about to select the lamb. That we know is the 14th, which was the Passover day. Then it's 15 to 21, was days of unleavened bread. Now, when you, walk, when you look forward to the 7th month, first month, and 7th month, you will see how they nicely work together. The most important date of the 7th month, the first day of the month, you have to figure out when is the first end of the seventh month. That's the Feast of Trumpet. The tenth of the month, you see how they go hand in hand, is the Feast of Atonement. And then the fifteenth of the month, the twenty-one of the month, is the Feast of Tabernacle. The same, the same period of time. The difference is Passover starts from 14, the Feast of Tabernacle ends at 22nd, with the last great day. 8, 8, 10, 10, 1st, and 1st. It's a perfect match, perfect harmony. Now, in the middle of all of this, there is a connection here. Just between the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there is a critical connection. And God says here in the same chapter 22 in verse 
11, he says, You shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. So the Passover is not just the feast by itself, disconnect for everything else. Passover is connected to unleavened bread. During the unleavened bread, once it's found, when we should supposed to start the countdown to the feast of Pentecost, which is connected to the feast of unleavened bread, everything works in a big, great package. You can't just disconnect and keep them apart from each other. They're all connected together in a perfect harmony. God's festival. Now, and how often do we get criticized by everybody that we keep feast, God's feast that are in the Bible? Nobody's got a problem that we keep, let's say people keep Christmas. No one's got a problem that people keep Eastern or many other additional holidays. People never criticize them for keeping them, which not even a single one is mentioned in the Bible here. Not a single one is mentioned in the Bible here. But if you mention to somebody that you, keep a, that you keep a God's feast, the first answer, they don't know what it is. Once you mention that there are Jewish feasts, then they say, wow, why are you keeping a Jewish feast? That's the first response that you're going to get. Not many people are aware, are aware of these beautiful festivals that are here outlined in the Bible, and just the few of us that are actually keeping them. Few of us that are actually keeping them. And, you know, how come the people can realize that if God makes something holy and he sanctifies it, there is no any human being that can make them unholy? We as a people, we don't have this authority to say, you know, we cancel the 14th of the first month. Because collectively, we sit together and we said, you know, it's built difficult to keep it because it falls on Thursday and we all go to work, so let's cancel it and I'll just move it to some other day. There's nothing in the Bible. We don't have authority to, to pronounce something like that. Also, there's not a single scripture in the Bible that it would say directly that you speak to you that you're not, you're, not, you're not supposed to keep these days anymore. Everything is done away. Basically, we don't have this authority to pronounce judgment like that on God's holy appointed time. And we just, what, a few weeks away, two and a half weeks, as I mentioned in the youth study. Three weeks. The next week, the next Sabbath will actually be the beginning of the will be the beginning of the first month, with the first day of the holy month, the first month. And <clears throat> imagine for a second that even people who keep the holy days, many of us, we don't treat this time in a respectful manner, in a respectful way. You know, we just rush to it. We don't give a thought. We don't give up much preparation. I'm not saying all of us, but in general, I observe during the, you know, especially during the Passover feast. And imagine just for a moment that, let's say, the Queen of England would visit Canada and let's say you'd be the one chosen, let's say, to have a breakfast on July 1st with the Queen of England. Would you be honored to participate in something like that? Absolutely. Would you prepare for event like that, which is on July 1st, you will know way ahead of time. Many of us will take day off, actually this is the day off from work, we'll prepare, we'll ask all the questions, how should, how should I dress, how should I come, how should I be prepared for this, you know, meeting with Queen of England. What an honor to be something like that. And, you know, how come that we have the appointment time with the King of the Universe, the God of God himself, and, you know, many times we just disregard his time, we're just Treated so lightly. And God prescribed it so long time ago. And you know, 
Many times we just rush through it. You know, like a Passover is in the evening. We try to squeeze last few hours from work, trying to rush, beat the traffic, get home. You know, and I remember many times people try to, you know, wash their feet in the sink, in the washrooms, and, you know, everything tried to cram into one single moment. This is God's holy time. God established it from the beginning of creation. And, you know, people who call themselves God's people, we should honor that time. If everything we can, everything we can. And if you want to fully understand God's salvation plan, how can you understand it without not keeping God's holidays plan? It just makes so much more difficult to understand it. Once you start keeping it, year after year, you're in the hands of Passover, you have hands of Feast of Trumpet, of the Feast of Pentecost. It's just building up. It's getting bigger. It's getting stronger. And, you know, your knowledge increases along these holidays. And you know where you fall in it, right? You know where you fall in it in the big pictures of all of this thing. So God's holy time is very important. And because it's God's holy time, we shouldn't be surprised that, you know, he's attacked from every other source, from every corner of this world, from, especially from Satan. It's so much attacked. It was almost eradicated. Let me give you some, you know, quick historical snapshot about the Feast of Passover. You know, many Christians were keeping the feast. They're still keeping the feast for millennia. Just as early as 155 A.D., you know, many of you heard the quarter decimal controversy, right? You heard about that, right? Quarter decimal controversy. 155 A.D. lasted to 199 A.D. What was the argument about? Whether the Christian Spring Festival should, should happen on a day of month of Nisan 14 or on a Sunday, the first day of the week. Back then, the Christianity, big part of Christianity was already corrupted. And Polycarp, the disciple of John argued the Bishop of Rome that absolutely not. He knew from John and from all the other that the Passover was always kept on the Nisan 14 of the first day on the Hebrew on the first on the on the on the first month of the Hebrew calendar. And here you can look at it, you can Google it, you can try to find in history. You know, the Bishop Catholic Bishop Eusebius from his ecclesiastical history in chapter 23:25, and he said here that the most, uh, the focus on this holiday is actually, let me read it. The focusing of the crucifixion as of a primary important argue for Nisan 14 as the day to commemorate the entire story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That was, that was this whole thing that, you know, we Christians should be still keeping Nisan 14. And the opposite side says that, you know, it doesn't matter. We shouldn't rely on the Jewish sources anymore to tell us when to keep Jesus Christ's resurrection. And in 4th century, in 325 A.D., the Emperor Constantine just legalized Christianity. And we know what happened that from that day on. Right? The, 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 the celebration of the Jewish Passover was forbidden, was outlawed by him. And obviously the celebration of the Sunday, our celebration of the Easter, was encouraged by everybody. So that was 325 A.D. 21, year, 21 year, years later, the same issues. 345, the Council of Antioch. Let me read it here because it sounds so better than, you know, than I try to say from, with my own words. If any bishop, presbyter, or deacon will dare after this decree to celebrate Passover, the council judges them to be anathema from the church. This council not only depossessed them from ministry, but also others who dare to communicate, communicate with them. 
So the church pronounced in 365 A.D., he pronounced all the Christians to observe the Passover, the Nisan of 14, as just cursed them. Now, 20 years later, 365, the issue is not quiet. There are still people keeping Passover on 14. 365 A.D., Council of Laodicea. Again, the same thing. is not permitted to receive festivals which are by the Jews. 506, in France, Christian must not take part in a Jewish festival. Seven centuries, Easter must be celebrated at a time set by the decree of Nicaea. So we can go on and go on. Six centuries, Emperor Justin, Justinian. That was one of the bloodiest ever conflict when it comes to controversy about the Passover and Easter. So Justinian sent the Roman armies throughout the empire to enforce the prohibition of Passover. Thousands of men, women, and children were brutally murdered. All of them were keeping Passover. Entire city were massacred for refusing to stop celebrating the Passover. Just think what a blessing we have here, that we can be, keep God's holiday in a peaceful manner. And, you know, that's just the history. That's just the history from our, from our Christian perspective, going back from the New Testament on. And it's not all of it. It's just a part of it. Now, the Passover was also heavily attacked during the Old Testament period. There were a part in history that God's people were not keeping Passover at all. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 29. Second Chronicles chapter 29. Second Chronicle chapter twenty nine. <clears throat> Look at verse three. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. So we're talking about the Hezekiah here. But the temple is not operational. So he opens the door, then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square, and they said to them. Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourself, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and cry out, and, cry, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. That was the temple, it was not used at all. And verse 6, for our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. So Hezekiah trying to return the proper worship into his nation, right? Now just go to chapter 30. Chapter 30, look at verse 1. And Hezekiah said to all the Israelites in Judah, and, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh in, in verse 2. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. They were not able to keep it Passover because the God's house was in ruin. But they decided to keep the Passover in the second month, which is allowed by God. The only holiday that is allowed. If you miss it for, you know, some very serious reason, when you miss it on the first day, you can celebrate on the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. And the mother pleased the king and all the assembly. So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout the Israel for Bathsheba to then that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. And since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner, they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. The feast of Passover was not just not 
was not observed. Look at verse 18 here. For a multitude of people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, they all gathered together, and they ate Passover, and they ate the Passover contrary to what was written, but Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord God provide atonement for everyone. Verse 19, Who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And verse 20, And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. God was very happy that his people actually turned his hearts towards him again and wanted to celebrate this wonderful, this great festival. And just verse 26 as the result of this. So there was a great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priest, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and the prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. And when you look at verse 23, they were so happy to celebrate the feast, then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast for another seven days, and they kept it, and they, and they kept it another seven days with gladness. That's how God's people, when they learned, relearned, and again, the importance of God's holiday, were so excited to keep the feast for another additional seven days, and God didn't mind that. He never forbid them to, not to do that. <clears throat> Now, so that's what happened during the reign of Hezekiah, okay? During the reign of Hezekiah. Look what happened 70, year later, 70 years later after his reign. Just seven, one generation. Just one generation, okay? Go to Second Kings chapter 23. And I know that most of you, we're moving back into the Bible, but actually in time-wise, we're moving forward. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 23. Now we have another king. Who became a king. Was just like uh, 8 years old. Talking about Josiah here. And look at verse 2. So the king went up. To the house of the Lord. With all the men of Judah. And with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The priests. The prophets and all the people. Both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had, be, which, had, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Seventy years later, they have no idea that such a feast as Passover exists. They go back to the book and they try to read the covenant that they signed. And they come across that they say, yeah, wow, we're supposed to keep the Passover on the 14th of the month. And now just go to verse 21. Just keep down to verse 21 for the sake of time. And the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of Covenant. Verse 22. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, not in all the days of the kings of Jerusalem and the kings of Judah. So in 18 years of the king Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. What a horrible story to tell. That God's people would miss something important thing like God's holy time. God never missed his appointed time. We, many times, we just missed it. We are not aware of it. And because we are not aware of it, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. God is always in control. And he, as I said, he always performs all the major events according to his schedule and to his holy, holy time. Now, I want, you, I want to just for a moment just show you how important is holy time, how some, some of the major events took place 
during this holy time. Did you know that we talk holy time, God's time? Go back to Exodus chapter 12. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And look in verse 1. Before the Exodus story, before giving of the law, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, verse 2, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And you know, to this day, the Jews actually keep the first day of, day of their year on the Feast of Trumpet, which comes in the September, October. But God breaks here into, here into their history, into their calendar. He says, from now on, I want you to keep this month as the first month of the year, not the other way around. And, you know, for us Christians, it's the same thing. You know, we were baptized on many different times of year. Some of us were baptized during the Feast of Tabernacles, some just right before the Passover, some during the summertime. But no matter when you are baptized... You're part of God's cycle of salvation when you enter into the Passover covenant with him, which started at the beginning in the first month. That's how important it is. Now, when you go to Exodus at the end of this book, Exodus chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the Ten of Meetings. You have to make sure that everything be ready by the first day of the first month that is coming up. So skip up to verse 16. <clears throat> verse 16. Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. First day of the holy month, the tabernacle was ready to go. And look what happened at the day in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children, of, the, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. Verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. What a comfort. You're right there in the middle of nowhere, and you can see the visible, visible manifestations of, the, of God who is in the midst of your camp. You can see the true fire or true smoke. What a wonderful feeling. And just, you know, just on sight, I just came, ac- I just came across some interesting, you know, one, uh, one brother from Toronto shared the information for me. And that was, it was amazing when I looked at it. I would just tell you, I would just tell you this. Is it possible, is it possible that maybe Jesus Christ was born on Nisan 1st 
at the beginning of the whole year calendar. Just think about it. You know, I'm not saying this is doctrine knowledge, just a speculation on my part. But it will make perfect sense. If God tabernacle with his people at the beginning of the holiday, of the holy month, on the first month of Nisan, it's also possible that he sent his son to tabernacle with his own people. You know, just look at the description in John. Just go to John, first John, Gospel of John, first, first chapter. You know, we can talk about it, all the speculation, just the speculation. We can talk during the sermon discussion later. You know, of all these days that people put forth and back, you know, I would never ever guess that, let's say, A.B. 1st would be the possible date for, you know, for Christ's birthday, right? But here in John 1st, look how John described here in verse 14. John, Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word become flesh and tabernacle with us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and true. And here in verse 16, he says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. And verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and true came through Jesus Christ. And verse 18, no one, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of his Father, he has declared him. I'm just saying the language, the description is just nicely fitted with the beginning of the tabernacle that started its function at the beginning of the first month of Nisan. There is also other, I don't want to spend here time, my time is trying to speculate. We can talk about it a little bit later. I could show you some other scriptures there a little bit later if you want to, if you ask for it. But, at this holy time, many major events. We're not going to go through all of them through the Bible, but let's just go back to Joshua. Go back to the Old Testament. Go back to Joshua chapter 5. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 5. Now the children, are about, they are about ready to enter the promised land. Guess what month of, of the year happened? The month of Nisan. Look here at verse 10. Now the children of Israel came in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And verse 11. And they ate of the produce of the land of the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. And as exactly the same day happened, the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Exactly as they entered the, the promised land, as they celebrated Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the manna ceased to exist. What a beautiful fulfillment on God's appointed time. No one else, just God's appointed time. Nothing happened by chance. Nothing happened by accident when it comes to God and dealing with us. <clears throat> now, Luke chapter 22. You look at the scripture today a little bit. Luke chapter 22. Just before Jesus Christ's crucifixion, here at this chapter 22, and in verse 14. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. Breaking into the context. 
Here the Luke is writing, when the hour had come, not the hour before, not the hour later, not the day before, not the day later. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelfth apostle with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover before you, Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of, of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he introduced the new symbol of the Passover here, of the Passover, of the Passover uh, feast right here. But it happened exactly at the specific time that God prescribed all over the place. You know, there are many other things. You know, destruction of Jericho happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We can go through all some of this, but, you know, I don't have time for it. What I wanted to do, I just wanted to shift our attention, to shift our focus from, you know, from our worldly cares to the Passover feast that is just two and a half weeks away from, from today, just to try to look through a different lenses, what is awaiting us, what's, what's going to happen in two and a half weeks. And I want you to know it, that, you know, this time is so special. This time is so special, it's so dear to our God, it's so dear to our, to, our, to our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, it should be so special for us. So I want you to think of it. I want you to plan of it way ahead of time so it never comes by surprise. You don't have to rush into it with the ease of mind and preparation. Just enter it with the, with the joy and the freedom that we have and, and, and celebrate it the way so our God will be proud of it. What I want to do with the second part now, I want to do through the Passover story in Exodus 12. And, you know, you know me, I like to read verse by verse. I like to analyze it. I like to take it upside down and, you know, inside out and just look at some of the details. And, you know, I started this chapter for so many years, for so long. It is amazing every time I go there, every time I get a piece of paper, every time I look at it, I always find something interesting that I missed for so many years. I would like to share it. I would like to share it, and I would like to, you know, maybe we notice something else that I'll point it out to you. Maybe you will notice something else. Maybe we'll have a wonderful discussion later than this, you know, sermon discussion. So if somebody gets your attention, write it, write it down, or you have a question or a comment, just write it down. We can talk. We can talk a little bit later. Go to Exodus chapter 12. We'll just go through some of the scriptures here. Not all of it. I don't have time for everything. And in Exodus chapter 12, <clears throat> we read some of it, but I want you to picture, you know, the first Passover, and you know, the first Passover in Egypt was one and only celebration that never ever happened like that again. I want you to keep this thing in mind. There was the first Passover in Egypt was so special that every single one after it pointed to the one that happened before. You see it when you read it? I will show you why. And imagine you are a slave. You can debate how much freedom you had in an Egyptian society. We can debate it. We don't know. But they did have some freedom. We're going to go to some scripture. I'll show you. But to what extent you sacrifice a lamb and, you know, how many people today can afford a lamb? Just think about it. What an elaborate feast would be if you just, let's say, invite your family for a lamb. And not just any lamb, a roasted lamb. 
only the rich and the wealthy could afford such an elaborate meal like that. Slave. Lamb. I want you to just think about it, okay? Just, just set your mind as we're going to go through some of the scriptures, okay? Why such an elaborate meal? Why eat this meal? And roasted lamb. Imagine if we would have the same fate. We are just a bunch of slaves. We've been enslaved for hundreds of years. God says, guys, I want you to sit down on this evening before something horrible is going to happen. And I promise you, you'll be free tomorrow. We will walk out from the land of Egypt. But I want you to celebrate before this, all these events actually is going to happen. Use your faith. Think about it. Before everything happened, I want you to sit down and celebrate. Egyptians are still there. You see the soldiers are over the place. They can kill you at any time, at any moment. They can put stop to this nonsense. Many things, wonderful things happen up to this day. To the Israelites people. Devastations also happen to the Egyptians people. I want you to sit. I want you to have a meal. I want you to have a roasted lamb. And I want you to have it in faith. It's not over yet. I want you to sit. I want you to eat. And I want you to have this faith in me that something great is going to happen tomorrow. Can you picture yourself in their shoes? And this feast, this celebration was so great that here in chapter 12 in verse 2, as I mentioned before, God says, this is the beginning of you. That's something that I want you to remember for as long as you live. I want you to celebrate this. And he says in verse 3, Speak to the congregation as saying, On the tenth of this month, every should take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. A lamb for a household. Ten. Tenth of the month. Four days before the Passover feast. Four days before the Passover feast. Now, just look at verse 4. If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the person. What do you think? What the slavery did to the family back then in Egypt? How strong was the family tied when you live in a slavery environment? Not much. I know there are some parts of the I know there are some parts of the world, even not so long ago, no long time ago, that even children who were born to the slaves, they were taken apart because they were not part of it. They were kind of like private property of the owners of the slaves. Now, we want to celebrate this meal together with your family and invite your neighbors to it. And how many our people this day and age just sit home and observe the Passover by themselves? Because point one, they not really understand which day they should keep it. So to be right, they'll go to church and keep one day and do at home and keep the other day. Point two, 
just in case I'm so holy, I don't want to, you know, I have my own way how to celebrate it. So I'm going to do perfectly. And to do it perfectly, I will just do by myself on my home. Just really think about it. Right here from the beginning, from the establishment of this great and wonderful feast, God says, I want you to sit as a family. Invite your neighbors too, not just by yourself. Okay? Now, lamb. Were the slaves able to own a lamb? Have you ever asked yourself this question? What the slaves were able to own? Could they own a piece of property? Could they own a cattle or a lamb? Or everything was owned by Egyptians. How would they get a lamb to celebrate as a slave? Hold your place here. Exodus chapter 8. I just want you to have a picture trying to imagine how this first Passover was celebrated. Exodus chapter 8. And verse 25. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice to your God in the land. And look how Moses responded to Pharaoh. And Moses said, It is not right to do so. Why is it not right? For we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? Why? Why? Because in Egyptians' religion, lambs were something holy. can kill them. And Pharaoh says, I want you to go. I want you to celebrate. says, we can't do it. We can't do it. You guys are going to look at this because you're going to kill us. Once we're going to sacrifice thousands of lambs this night, it's just going to kill us. We don't want to offend you with our religion. All these animals that the Hebrew ladies sacrifice in their temple, like sheep, goats, cattle, they're all sacred animal to the Egyptians. So killing of the lamb in the midst of the Egyptians' oppression, in the fear of it, can you imagine in the midst of the Egyptians' presence was kind of like exercising my faith. We will do this bloody business. We'll exercise our faith and hopefully God will protect us and he will take care of us. Now, the slaves were able to own lambs or cattle or any other animals. Were they allowed to do this in Egypt? Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. And look here at Aaron in verse 27. So, it says just here, just one verse in the mention here, then the Lord said to Aaron, I want you to go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met with him on the mountain of God and kissed him. 
So for some reason, as much as Aaron was slave, he was able to leave it, leave Egypt, and go to our wilderness and meet Moses and come back. So I don't know what's our image, imagery of the slavery that happened in Egypt. We all have our own. We can picture something and read, and we can imagine our own heads. But I'm just giving you a fact. Aaron was able to travel. And, you know, I checked some historical sources, and actually they were saying that the, the tribe of Levi had a better freedom in Egypt that they could exercise. I don't know if it's true or not. It's just uh, some, you know, it's kind of like a speculation, so to speak. So Aaron was kind of moved. He, he, he could go here into places, go and visit Moses, right? Go to Genesis chapter 46 and look when Jacob entered Egypt <clears throat> during the famine. Genesis chapter 46. Genesis, four, Genesis chapter 46 and look at verse 28. As they marching, you know, Jacob and all his family, 70 of them, they marched towards Egypt just to, you know, be protected from the famine and, and, and starvation. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. And just skip down to verse 31. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their, their flocks and their herds and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and say, What is your occupation? Then you shall say, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. And look for this. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. This is very interesting, but you will see a little bit as we progress it here. As we go to, just go to Exodus chapter 9, and you see here, Exodus chapter 9, that these people were able to own animals throughout the state in Egypt. This thing was not taken away from them. They were able to own cattle and sheep and other animals. <clears throat> chapter 9, Exodus chapter 9. And look in verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hell. God separated the land of Goshen from the, all the Egyptians. And in verse, just go back to verse 4. It actually says here, yeah. Verse 4, it says, And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. That the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do these things in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. But the Pharaoh still hardened his heart and never let them go free. So imagine at this moment here, none of the Egyptians' livestock is alive. Only all the livestock that belongs to the children of Israel are the only one that is alive here. So they actually were in possession of livestock, the Pharaoh didn't take it away from them. Now, chapter 10. And writing in verse 9, it says, And Moses says, 
We'll go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But in verse 24, just break into the context, and Pharaoh responded, Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back, let your little ones also go with you. But Moses says, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. So they were owning a lot of livestock when Egyptians didn't. And Pharaoh thought for a moment if he would be able to hold the livestock, the people for sure would be coming back. But now we can imagine now, in the midst of the Egyptian culture, in the midst of Egyptian religion, they were about to sacrifice them. Not sacrifice. They were about to kill a lamb. They were about to kill a lamb. And the other aspect here, that you know, just, just from one scripture that you know I could see in Exodus chapter 11, in verse 2, that it says that, Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask him for his neighbors, and every woman from her neighbor, article of silver and article of gold. So maybe there may be some Israelites who were living amongst the Egyptians, and they were the neighbors that were just living everyday life like normal people, and nothing happened. They would just coexist together. And maybe, you know, like each other. I don't know, but that's what my sounds here from verse 2. And the other critical aspect about the first, first Passover, I want you to think about it in this way. The first lamb that they kill here, right, in Exodus chapter 12. I want you to think about it. This was not a sacrifice. You see what I'm saying? This lamb was not a sacrifice. This lamb was not born on the altar like all the other sacrifices that were provided for God. You see it? They were, they were instructed to roast it and eat it. Eat it all. Only blood from the lamb was applied on the door. Every other lamb after this year, every other lamb was a sacrifice to God to commemorate the first event that happened in the book of Exodus chapter 12. You see it? You understand what I'm saying? This first lamb was a meal for the people. They didn't have to sacrifice and burn it on the altar. They were instructed to eat it all the same night. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 8, they were to eat it here, this lamb, with unleavened bread and also with bitter herbs. Unleavened bread. I read some historical documents. I was shocked by it because I always thought for all these years that leavened bread is superior to unleavened bread. Right? Makes sense, right? Leavened bread is tasty, it's puffy, it's looking good. So the taste, it's, it's more appealing than unleavened bread. You look at unleavened bread, it's just the flat. Nothing there. But actually, this historian was saying that in the old days, long time ago, the unleavened bread was looked as a superior than the leavened bread.
So, the understanding, many people understanding when they read the passage of Exodus 12, they said that people didn't have time to bake leavened bread. That's why they have unleavened bread. They had to eat it on the way. Really? The instruction about Passover came way before Exodus. People have plenty of time to prepare whatever they wanted to prepare. They had the lamb on the tent of the month already. They could bake all the unleavened bread, all the leavened bread whenever they wanted to. So there's no issue of time that, you know, they didn't have time. They had to leave at night. They didn't have time to bake bread. I don't see it. They got the instructions way ahead of time. They had all the time they wanted. If they really wanted to bake unleavened bread, they could. But God, but God actually said, I want you to eat it with unleavened bread. Now, I want to point some, some, some historical facts when it comes to unleavened bread. You make your own call. You make your own decision. Let's go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 18. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 18. And you know the story very well. That's Abraham, and he's visited by three angels. Or Verse 1, Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebin tree of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him, and, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on your by, by your servant. Please, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and dress yourself under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts, and after that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of a fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender, tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare, and he hastened to prepare me. So, you know, this verse 6, you know, I already talked to you about three measures of a meal. That's exactly the specific recipe that actually Israelites offer in the temple. That was the specific measurement when it comes to the sacrifice, daily sacrifice that there is at the temple. And you know this day was, this bread was unleavened, right? And some people say, oh, it was not a big deal. Abraham was in a rush, so he baked unleavened bread. But you know, he could as well serve them leavened bread. By the time you kill the animal, by the time you prepare meat, there is enough time to make a bread. I know because I was raised on a farm, I know we have enough time to do that together with both of them. Easy, you can fit it and make and bake perfect leavened bread. He decided to make unleavened bread. Now, it's just because Abraham did it just to because give them a favor bread or more hospitable bread at that time, I don't know. Or is it possible that maybe at that time, long time ago, maybe Abraham was keeping unleavened bread? Feast of unleavened bread? I don't know. There's no dates here. There's no mention of months or dates. But we don't know. But look at this. Next chapter over. As you remember, as Abraham was discussing with this man. And was pleading for a lot and negotiating not to destroy it. Remember Sodom? Sodom, remember? He was pleading not to destroy it. In the same time frame. Look at chapter 19 in verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. 
And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you must rise early and go on your way. And they say, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. His house. Then he made them a feast and baked what bread? Unleavened bread, and they ate. The same time frame. Maybe then that day later or something like that. Maybe these major events also happened during the week of unleavened bread. It's just a speculation because the day is not given in the Bible. Is it possible? Absolutely. Now, most Jews, when they will sit to the Passover cedar, they will say that better herb symbolizes how they're oppressed and how, you know, hard time they had in Egypt, which is true. But also, on the other hand, when you make a, when you bake a roast meat, Bitter herbs give you a nice flavor into it, right? Wouldn't you say? Who is a good cook? Usually when you put a meat and a bitter herbs, they'll give you a better flavor than just meat alone, right? So they put a garlic and piece of salt and something like that. So I know everything is symbolic, but you know, this first meal that they ate it as a slave was a very good meal. Extraordinary meal that they partake of it. Partake of it. And now, in verse 11, look at here, Exodus chapter, go to, back to Exodus chapter 12. And there's another passage. In verse 11, he says, God says, and thus you shall eat this. He says, you eat this meal, but there is a way how we should eat this meal. We have a belt on your waist, your sandal or your feet, and you stop in your hand, so you shall eat it in a haste, is the Lord's Passover. What's the traditional understanding of it? They were dressed. They were ready to go, right? So they were dressed. They were ready to depart. That's the traditional understanding, right? And, you know, now when I look at this, and just, you know, think for a moment. God would say, I want you to eat this meal with your sandals on your feet, with a stick in your hand, and all this thing. But what about other stuff? When you leave Egypt, what do you need to do? If you moved... Why did God, did God say, you know, you all, should be, you all should be ready and packed. Your wagon should be waiting by your door. Your cattle should be nicely tied together, ready by the side. So when I give you, go ahead, you're ready to dress, you take them all and you move. What are the other instructions here? What's more important, have a boots on your feet or actually, you know, your box is packed before you move? What's the more important thing? When somebody wakes up in your night and says you need to go, how long is it going to take you to put a sandals on your feet? Just a second. But if you're not packed, how long is it going to take to pack? There are all animals and everything's around it. It's going to take a long time, right? Why would God ask them to do something like that? As you know, what I see, what I believe, it's just the same thing. You sit, eat this elaborate meal in a full faith. I want you to dress nicely. I want you to be dressed. I have to have your, you know, your clothes on you. You'll be free people. Eat it. Just like, you know, when somebody invites you for Thanksgiving. You dress nicely, you enter the home, you eat a nice meal with your neighbors. God is saying the same thing here. I want you to be dressed, I want you to be ready. You know we're going to be free. You're going to be free, I want you to celebrate it. Wait a half of time. It's hard, it's difficult. It's difficult to celebrate it, something that's going to happen in the future, right? It's difficult to keep a feast of trumpet when we don't know what is awaiting us. It's even more difficult to keep Feast of Tabernacle 
when our imaginations can even go there, when we can even imagine what it means eternity. Can't. But all we know, that this day will come. How do we know that this day will come? Look at the history, read your Bible. Every single day was exactly fulfilled of how God said it. If God has this power, if God has the motivation to do exactly what he did with the spring holidays, he will do exactly the same thing with the fall holidays. Exactly the same thing. If you don't believe me, look at it. And the same thing he was saying to Israelites. Eat it in a faith. You'll be free. You'll free. I guarantee you'll be free. In the midst of Egypt, I want you to, you know, sacrifice the lamb. Let the blood go. Put it on your door so they can see it. What you're doing. Don't be afraid of them. Your freedom is a guarantee. It's the mother of, it's the mother of ours. And I promise you as a God. Can you imagine that? Being slave for 400 years. I'm going to do in the midst of Egypt. I'm going to put the animal blood on the doorpost. They're going to look at this. They're going to look disgusted what I'm doing. And I'm going to eat a lamb. Kill lamb in front of them. And they're not going to kill me. And they're not going to do anything to me. Because God will protect me. Along the way. What a beautiful experience. So, what's my time, Emma? Almost an hour. So, in conclusion, I have to wrap it up. <clears throat> God's holy time is so, so important. You know, and don't treat it lightly, brethren. Don't treat it lightly. Prepare for it. Set your calendar. Set your reminders. You know, write it, whatever you can, because so you can see it way ahead of time. So let's say something happened that, you know, you have a, you know, let's say you have a dinner with your family or something like that. And you just look at it like, oh, it's Thursday. I can't. Thursday is a Passover. Don't be shocked by it. So, you know, live by the whole, live by the appointed time that we have with God. Let them be the driving force in your life that you live, that you live by. Not the other days around it. Not just Sabbaths, but also the other days. And, you know, as a God's people, it's interesting God is everything performing on the day that he said he will do it, right? God gave us his days, and he said, I will do according to these days. And you know what? Look at our history. We missed every single one of them. Most of them, we just missed it. It just flew by. Even God's people who had the scriptures, they're supposed to know, they missed them. They missed them. Go to Luke chapter 19 quickly. <clears throat> Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and look at verse 37. Then as he was now drawing near to the descent of Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, with all the mighty words that they, had, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What do you think? What date of the week was that? What date of the month was that? Any guesses? Any guesses? What date of the week was that? And you know, it's, the title here is the Palm Sunday. You know what date is in the Bible? The tenth of Nisan. That's what the lamb supposed to be presented and chosen by the people. Jesus Christ just, just doing this thing in a procession. Welcomed by people, right? And some Pharisees, in verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. 
But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if this should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And look what he says later in verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and, and wept over it, saying, If you had known, if you had known, how come you people always missed it? If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that, make your, that they make for you peace, but now are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will bend an embarkment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. And brethren, look what happened just chapter 22. The same evening they were sitting during the Passover meal. You know, his disciples, as we read it before, Verse 14 and verse 15, and you know, Jesus Christ, you know, in verse 15, that he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover meal with you. Verse 16, for I not do so. And in verse 7, he took the cup. In verse 18, it says, you know, I will not drink of the fruit of wine until the kingdom of God comes. And you know, you can imagine yourself sitting in this great setting, the Passover meal with the Son of God. And here in verse 22, he mentioned to them, truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And verse 23, they began to question among themselves which of them it was, it was who would do this thing. Imagine, Jesus says, one of you will betray. We have a big argument. Who's going to betray? You, 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 Dylan, no me. You, no, you, you, no, you, who? Who's going to betray them? Look verse 24. The Passover meal. The Passover meal. With a master. Verse 24. Disciples. They should know what's happening, right? They should know what's happening. They were trained by Jesus Christ. Verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Ha ha. I'm more important than you. Or maybe you're more important than me. Let's have a debate here. Who is more important here? In the middle of the Passover feast, they argue among itself. Christ had so many things to tell them on the last night of his life. So many things to tell them. And they argue who is the greatest among them. Think about it. And you know, I love it here because Luke missed it. You go back to John. And John gives you the more detail what happened that evening. As they were arguing who is the greatest, go to John chapter 13. You see? As they were arguing, John chapter 13, John gives more detail than anybody else about the last Passover night that they had together. And it says here, when the hour had come, you should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the, in, in, in the world. He loved them to the end, even though they were still doing all this stuff. And supper being ended, verse 2, the devil having already put in, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's sons, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all into his hands, and that he had come to the, from God and was going to God, rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. 
he didn't argue with them. He says, he didn't knock on the table and say, hey, stop here. Stop arguing for a moment. As I was in a big debate and a big discussion, he took his garments off. He took the towels. He took the basins and went to every single one of them and washed their feet. Master of the universe. In the midst of controversy, he's washing their feet. What's the lesson for us here? Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know, do you know what I have done to you today on a Passover day? Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And verse 17, and I want to leave you today, brethren, with this one verse. We have two and, a, two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks before the Passover. Verse 17. If you know these things, do we really know these things? Do we really understand these things? If you if know these things, then blessed are you if you do that. May God be with you. May God bless you all. And brethren, in two weeks, you know, we'll be going through the We'll be going through the Passover timing in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. So if you have any questions, any confusion, you know, welcome to please talk to me today or if you have the questions or have comments, whatever you might have. It. May God bless you all, brethren. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.